We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome, 8020 Baseball Coaches. Episode 156, our weekly get together. I am fired up to be here. Love to see the listener numbers continue to grow. It fires me up. We're all about nonpartisan coaching here. No old school, no new school, just the best school, just the best way that we can coach. Just going out there and doing the best we can using logic, deductive reasoning, experience, new technology, new things, if they're better than the old things, not just to be new not to chase the shiny object. And we're not also just sticking with what we've always known and what we've always done because that's just how we do it. So here at 8020 Baseball, those of you that have been here with us, you know we're topic skill specific. We don't get into groups of old school, new school, or this way or that way, or no tech or all tech. We are topic and skill specific. We're trying to find the best ways to do it. We're showing humility and we're gonna change our coaching methods when we discover better ways of doing things. We're not gonna chase those shiny objects that I talked about, shiny new tech technology and gadgets and strategies without first vetting them and then sampling them before going all in. We're going to vet them. We're going to maybe let them play out a little bit like you might with a car. I know when I was younger, my old man would share with me and my mom would also share, you shouldn't buy the first model of something. Wait till the second year, let them get the kinks out. In fact, I just downloaded the new software for that comes with the Mac. I have a Mac and the new software, the Ventura OS came out and the Mac OS uh, was a little bit off the first week and a half. And then they came out with that second. And in fact, I actually waited about a week to download it because the last couple years, they've come out with a new OS, a new operating system that is Apple. And the first couple weeks haven't been all that great. And I think next year when they come out with the new one, typically it's in October, I'm going to wait until the second version of the new operating system comes out because this has been three years and you know what? There's things that need to get ironed out. And the same can be said about technology in baseball or new shiny options objects in anything, right? So I think it's important that we know to be a little patient, but we also know that maybe we do need to go and do that or try that. We don't want to be behind the curve, but we definitely don't want to find ourselves wasting a bunch of time with things that are not really going to help us, but they look shiny, they look new, they sound cool. And that's why you come here to help vet that stuff out. So I was thinking about that with the new operating system that came out for the Mac. And I thought, man, I got to share this because there's a lot of things coming out in the coaching world, especially with technology and baseball and statistics here and this, that, and the other. And I think we can want to jump in quickly and try the new shiny thing or the new strategy. And sometimes they are better. Sometimes those new strategies are better. But I think it's important that we take a second, take a breath, maybe let it play out a little bit, make sure there's some success, a little success before maybe we dive in. Or you can come here, you can email me, you can ask me, you can ask somebody who's got a lot of experience in this area, get some second, third opinions on it, and then go from there. Now, speaking of old school, right before I went to record this. My mom came over and she's awesome. My mom's awesome. She's just always been a great mom and she was just a great supporter of me and athletics. And I'd love to have her come on here and share out some pointers for parents. I know this is more of a coaching podcast, but she really nailed it, how to be a parent of a youth athlete. But she came over with this bag of goodies and in the bag of goodies was an old newspaper clipping of my grandparents voting back in 1984 in the front page of the Butte, Montana's paper, the Montana Standard, which is kind of 
of cool. They're at the voting counter, at the voting table, and there's my grandma and grandpa. But anyways, there's a ticket here, an old ticket stub, a rain check ticket stub, a rain check ticket stub from the Boston Red Sox. So my mom went out to Boston for school and she would go to the Red Sox games and they were playing the Yankees September 1st, 1975. September 1st, 1975, Fenway Park. Ticket was $3.75 reserved. That's awesome. It's awesome. Rain check. Love it. Also in the bag of goodies were some old Topps baseball cards from 1978. Flip through them real quick. Rich Gossage. He didn't even go by Goose yet. Rich. No beard. This is when he was with the White Sox and the White Sox jerseys are red in this. Was this a period in time where they were trying to get away from the Black Sox scandal and they went red? I don't know. Some of you out in Chicago area can fill me in on that. I don't remember seeing red jerseys. I don't know if this was some kind of random day. I don't think it was. But anyways, they have Burt Blylevin card, Tony Perez, Don Sutton, and Dennis Eckersley. Wow, these guys are Dennis Eckersley on the Indians. That's awesome. So I got some old cards. Always cool when some old school baseball memorabilia comes my way. I'm a huge fan of old school baseball. I've always studied old school baseball, but I'll be the first one if something's better and there's a better strategy, a better way to do it now, a better way to coach now. I'm all over it. So long as we give it some chance to to air out a little bit. In this episode, we're going to talk about some off-season keys. We're going to talk about how and how I stole some signs. And I kind of stumbled across this, how I took some signs from a really successful baseball team a while back, just about 16 years ago. And I'll share with you why it didn't help us at all or how it didn't help us at all. So kind of tying that back in with the Astros. Speaking of a new school team, the Astros have gone all new school with pretty much everything. And look, they're winning. They're winning as much as anybody. I know it's Major League Baseball, so that stuff's not as applicable, but can't be afraid of the new school, but you definitely don't want to ditch the old school. And we'll get into that. Quick review of last week, coaching execution versus emotion. So go back and listen to episode 155 if you didn't already. John Wooden's quote, a coach is someone who can give correction without resentment. Now we broke down that angle of giving correction without us getting resentful of our players, giving correction in a kind of objective, polite, kind way or respectful way versus getting angry at the player for not remembering or not doing it right or they're trying to spite us. And then there's the other way of looking at the giving correction without resentment. And that is giving correction so players don't resent us when we give them correction. There's a real skill to that. And and there's a real foundation behind being able to do that. It's not so much the word you use. That's part of it. Definitely. That's definitely part of it. But it's really about the foundation you've built up with those players, the rapport you built up with your players, the trust. Then we also talked about, and I shared a clip of Pete Rose talking about hitting and his hitting approach. Go back and listen to that if you haven't. Off season. Now, I know fall ball is here and baseball has become a kind of a year round type of thing. I'm not a big fan of that. I think players should get a break more so for the mental break than the physical break. Definitely like nine-year-olds don't need a physical break for the most part unless they're dealing with some other kind of health ailments or something like nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, seven-year-olds. They could pretty much play every day year round and be okay. Where the rest of us, we need a couple weeks of ice and stem therapy, cortisone shots, Advil, three bottles before we can bounce back. But young kids don't need that. But for the mental break, I think it's very important. But I do understand that there is an offseason for many players and they're doing other sports. Offseason keys. And I've hit this a year ago during the offseason. I think it's really important batting wise to work and to hit. I think it's important to continue batting, even if it's just an hour a week or 30 minutes a week or maybe an hour every two weeks during the offseason if they're playing another sport or taking some time off. Pitching wise, I think it's important to throw some light bullpens. I think throwing light bullpens or light flat grounds is very important. Taking ground balls and strength and conditioning. Strength 
strength and conditioning may be built into another sport that the kid is playing, but those are the four main keys. Not the only four, but the four main keys during the offseason when time is very limited and it's being put towards other sports or another sport or other things or rest or other types of things. I don't even sports related, maybe Boy Scouts or things like that. But I recommend making sure that you can get some time out there with your players, your kid, batting cages, light bullpens, ground balls, some light throwing routines, some long toss if they're built up a little bit as we get into November and December, some long toss and bullpens, definitely the batting cages, ground balls, and strength and conditioning. So the strength and conditioning could be without weights. It could just be body weight, a lot of single leg work. It's very important that the strength, the foundation, the legs from the ground up is strengthened, single leg squats, pistol squats, lunges, lunge clocks, essentially doing lunges around a clock, basically forward, then to the sides and then to the back and then around, basically working the different hours of the clock with the lunge, single leg, like I said, pistol squats, gold, windshield wiper type ab workouts, med ball throws for the core, just some really good, just med ball throws and and leg stability, leg strength, mobility, getting some good stretching in. Most kids don't need a lot of stretching at the seven, eight, nine, ten. You as you get a little older, they get a little stiffer, but it doesn't hurt to at least check it. But those are the four main off season keys, batting cages. You got to get the kids in there hitting. You got to have them hit or live batting practice or batting practice off of you throwing batting practice. They need to get their hacks in. They need to hit. Remember, they need to know if there's less than two strikes or if there's two strikes whenever they're hitting, because that's how the game works. And we can't expect them to go into a game and have a two strike approach when all we do in batting practice is one way, one way, just throwing and hit, throwing, pitch and hit, pitch and hit. It's got to be, hey, there's two strikes or less than two strikes. So they know where they're hitting the ball, where they're looking for the ball, where they need to kind of protect a little bit more if need be. They need to swing, some throwing, light bullpens, flat ground, ground balls. Ground ball reps are great. And with the ground ball reps, depending on where you're at in the off season, depending on how far you are from the season starting, depending on how well their arm is conditioned, ground balls can be with a throw or without a throw or can be done with some throws and some without. You can mix and match and work it so the ratio and the volume of throws isn't always the same as the ground balls if the arm dictates otherwise. And then single leg work with the legs is super important. Single leg work with the legs. Med ball throws is a good one. You can get a med ball. You can do a lot of different med ball throws, reverse, forward, rotational throws. I love the windshield wiper abs on the floor. I love those. Getting the shoulder stronger with some two pound dumbbells, some four pound dumbbells, or using plyo balls instead of the dumbbells. A one, a two, a four pound plyo ball. Not necessarily to throw, but to build up that shoulder strength. And so those are the keys right now if you're not trying to play super competitive games and you're getting ready for the season in the spring or you're getting ready for some winter ball. Those are four really good places. Those are your 80-20. Those are the four things that are going to bring about 80% of the results that you need, that players need going into a season, going into the beginning of a season right there. Now, let's move to the quote. And yes, one more John Wooden quote. Got to go with Coach Wooden, the Wizard of Westwood. Quote, essentially, I was always more of a practice coach than a game coach. This is because of my conviction that a player who practices well plays well. End quote. Coach John Wooden. He was always more of a practice coach than a game coach. I knew my coaching career really went in a much better direction and really improved and took a big step forward when I started to understand that practice was much more important as a coach and the games were not a time really to coach up. In fact, if you really do a great job as a coach, you're not really coaching much during the games. And I understand youth baseball is a little different than some of the higher levels, of course, because you have less practice time and there's a lot more to be learned at the lower levels, but you definitely should find yourself 
yourself coaching a lot more during practice. You should be exhausted after practice from being a great coach, from really giving your best. That doesn't mean correcting everything, but that could mean making sure the environment creates a ton of good quality reps. It's designed it's efficiently, effectively. It's moving from station to station quickly. It's well put together. The energy, the positivity, the praise level is high. Also, you're keeping an eye on things that uh, might be of a disciplinary issue. There's a lot going on in a practice to really get those high quality reps up in a really quality environment. You should be really tired after practice. If anything, just from hitting ground balls and throwing batting practice and things like that. A game should be more of a time to relax for the coach and let the players go out there and do their thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't coach. Of course you should coach during the game, but you should be finding yourself coaching a lot less during the game than you do during practice. Here's a fun stat about coach John Wooden. I want to share something now as I wrap up this third week in a row with a John Wooden quote. Well, okay, first off, he didn't win a championship, right? Until his like 16th year of coaching as a head coach. It was probably like his 20th year of coaching. He didn't win a championship. He didn't win until his 16th year. The last 12 years as a coach, he won a ton of championships and his record was 335 and 22. His last 12 years, 335 with 22 losses. 335 wins, 22 losses. That's incredible. Here's one. His last nine years, I believe coaching, his last nine years of coaching, 200 and let me say this. There were nine teams in the 2022 tournament, March Madness. There were nine basketball teams in the college basketball NC2A tournament, March Madness. There were nine with 12 or more losses. Nine made the big dance. Nine teams with 12 or more losses made the big dance. They made the tournament. They made March Madness, which is the goal for so many teams. Nine teams had 12 losses or more that made it. Here was John Wooden's record, his last nine years of coaching, 259 and 12. 259 and 12. <laughs> That's like some Tecmo Bowl with Bo Jackson as your running back kind of numbers. But more importantly, now, I know some of you are probably sitting there going, Coach Bo, you're talking about his record a lot. You know I'm coming back with something else. You know there's some follow-up to this. If you've listened to the last 155 episodes, you know there's some more. Listen to this. Here are three comments by his players. Gary Cunningham, one of his players, said, he was humble and reserved. I learned a lot from him. He never talked of winning in the 14 years I was with him. Now, Coach Gary Cunningham played and coached with him. If you get to the top of the pyramid of success and did the best you can, there was nothing more he would ask or could ask. He'd say, do your best and only you know if you've done your best. He didn't want yes men, Cunningham said. If you disagreed with them, you told him. Then he'd challenge you and you'd go back and forth. It was almost like you were defending your doctoral proposal. If you convinced him, he'd put it in, end quote. That's pretty impressive, right? This is a coach who didn't really lose at all. And yet he'd let his players challenge him a little. Now, these are college players, so it's a little different, I think, with in terms of challenging their understanding of the game is pretty high level. So it's a little different with youth ball. Another player, Jamal Wilkes, what he taught us transcended basketball and related to life. It stuck with all of us. The things he said were simple yet profound. He was highly efficient and a genius when it came to teaching. I mean, is that not saying it all? So not only did he have the most success, if not some of the top success, probably the most success in college basketball as a college basketball coach, considered one of the greatest based off of his win-loss record, but he has his players saying things like, quote, what he taught us transcended basketball and related to life. It stuck with all of us. The things he said were simple yet profound. He was highly efficient and a genius when it came to teaching, unquote. Oh man, that's awesome. And the last quote I got, Marcus Johnson. He lived his life reflecting that pyramid of success. I'm going to pause here. The pyramid of success, many of you are familiar with John Wooden's pyramid of success. If you're not, go check it out. It might be a little too much for youth sports, but it's definitely something that 
least to look at and work on your paradigm to improve your paradigm of how you look at where the foundations of coaching are and what's most important work up from there. Former player Marquise Johnson went on to say, he never made us have to do this or that. He just did it by example. He led by example, end quote. So what I tried to do with this last Coach Wooden quote that I'll give here for a long time, it's hard not to use Coach Wooden quotes, but I'll promise I won't use another one for a long, long time. As much as I love Coach Wooden, because of the things that he did, he won on the court and he won with his players, making them better people. You can do both. You need to do both. They both go together. They're not mutually exclusive. They can go together and they work the best when you coach the person and the game. When you coach the kid and the game, coach them both. If you find yourself coaching the game more than the kid, back up, say, I need to coach up the the kid as much as the game. You can do both. You don't have to do one or the other. You can definitely do both. Coach Wooden is a perfect example of that. Now, part two here, the Astros obviously won the World Series a few weeks ago, and I was coaching a game in 2007, and we were playing a team, Long Beach Millican High. Long Beach Millican High, who's had some major leaguers come out of there, some famous players. And Long Beach Millican baseball at that or during that year had shut out every team in the league up until that point, they had thrown like five or four or five or six shutouts in a row. And this was a pretty competitive league at the time. Long Beach Wilson, who had just won a national championship, high school baseball national championship, like for all levels. They were the national title winner in 2006. Lakewood High, Travis D'Arnaud went to Lakewood High. That's a stacked program. They have, I think, the second winning as coach in the history of California baseball as a coach over there, Spud O'Neill, great guy. This was by no means a cream puff league. So I'm coaching at Long Beach, Jordan, which is the North Long Beach School. We had a lot of kids, Compton and Watts. A little tougher area, harder to get the program going, but we had some really tough kids and we had some kids that really wanted to play well and really wanted an outlet. And so we're out there and I love the guys I had. In fact, one of my old players is coaching over there now, Philip Berman. So Coach Berman is, is coaching over there. I remember when he was a freshman years and years ago, but uh, I'm coaching and this team is shutting everybody out and something randomly happened. I just happened to look over at their pitching coach who was giving the signs to the catcher, giving the pitching signs, calling the pitches to the catcher. And he did something funny with his feet. He did something funny with his legs. And it just, it was odd. I was, so he's touching his like nose, you know, like a lot of coaches touch their ears and nose and chin and all their hat and all that. And that's how they give their signs or their arms. And that's how they call pitches to the catcher. And I'm not going to get into whether we should call pitches or catchers should call pitches, but you know, most pitching coaches would tap their face or ears and chest and arms. He did something funny that was not authentic. It was not natural. He did something not very authentic with his legs and it just kind of stood out. And I said, man, he really did that. He crossed his legs kind of funky. Like it was almost like he thought about it and then crossed his legs. Well, sure enough, he was crossing his legs for a curveball. He was having his feet wide. He would sit there and put his feet wide. So he was sitting on a bench, kind of a wall. If you've ever been to Blair Field, we were at Blair Field, which is a famous field in Long Beach. Blair Field, uh, the high schools in Long Beach play at Blair Field. It's Long Beach State's home field. And he's on the wall there by the dugout and he spreads his feet out, spreads his legs out. And then the pitcher threw a fastball. And I'm like, whoa. And then he came back, crossed his legs again, the next pitch. And it was a curveball. And I said, oh man, oh, the whole time he's doing that with his legs, he's doing it very subtle with his legs. But what he's doing is touching his face and his nose and his ears and tapping his arms and things like that. So he wants everybody to look up, but he's actually giving the signs with his feet. Now I've never seen another coach do that before. And this, it just stood out, but you know what? They had been shutting out the world. We're one of the highest ranked teams in all of Southern California. So nobody else was picking up on it. They, well, maybe they were. 
were. Maybe they picked up on it like we did. And guess what? We still got beat. We didn't hit the ball much better than if, and we knew right then all the signs. So then we could just literally, we are our players because the coach is calling the pitches a long time before the catcher calls the pitches. Well, it was enough for our hitters to really just stand there and look over at the coach. They could stand over. There was a day game. Some of them had sunglasses on, or they could just kind of act the left-handers had it easy. They could just peek over. All they had to do was see their coach cross the legs, curveballs coming. They'd look over at the coach, legs are wide, fastball. And then he would stand, he'd put his feet one in front of the other on a changeup. And our literally, you cannot know the pitch sooner than that in all of baseball. And we knew exactly because those signs were easy to pick. There was no indicator. There was no multiple signs. It was, he was only doing one thing with his legs. And that was it. That was the pitch that was coming. And yet we still couldn't hit it very well. My point of this whole thing to share that story, it didn't really help our team at all. And there was other games where we had the signs in my career and it didn't help that much at all. And I've come to truly believe talking to so many good hitters over the years at all levels, at some of the highest levels, knowing what's coming is not hugely advantageous for the lower levels, for the high school, the youth ball and down. Now, when you're in the professional game and you've seen tens of thousands of pitches, yeah, definitely can play. And those guys are throwing 97 miles an hour, 98. That definitely makes a difference. I think if you put a lot more of your effort into coaching up the hitting approach, have them on time, have their balance 50-50, and most importantly, pitch selection. You're only as good as the pitches you swing at. I think that's so important. I think knowing the pitch that's coming or trying to get the pitches or stealing the pitches from the pitcher and youth ball, I'll tell you what, I can't tell you how many great players, hitters that I played with. I remember them saying, I don't want to know. We would know the signs or the coaches had picked it or I was on the team and the coaches were older. I was still playing. I hear the coaches come in the dugout and, hey, we know the signs and we know that the pitcher's tipping. And a lot of the hitters would just say, I don't want to know. I don't even want to know. It says a lot. So the point here, the message, what we can learn from this is really put your time into building up good hitters, good hitting approaches, and that will pay off much more. And also your kid at the tryouts or they're getting ready for the high school team and things like that, they may not know the pitch. A lot of times they're not going to know the pitch. If the other team's doing their job, most of the time they're not. Very rarely will they know and be very sure of what's coming. Also, if you think you know the pitches or you get the signs and you mess up once or twice, you've lost a lot of credibility with your players. You've lost a lot of trust. Once you lose the trust, then for all intents and purposes, that's going to lead you down a dead end. I was chasing the shiny object of, oh, the stealing this sign, that sign, knowing the signs. Well, I'll tell you what, good hitting approaches, good practice routines, good habits, good practice environments, better drills. That is what's going to pay off big time when it comes to coaching, not trying to pick a sign here or this, that, or the other. So learn from my mistake, focus on the things that you can control, game in and game out. And speaking of which, go over to the 8020 Baseball website, get your drill design guide for free, get mailed, it'll get mailed to you right away, immediately. Support the podcast at a minimum, leave a rating, just leave a rating, takes a minute or a quick little review, even better. Also, email me, shoot over an email of your success stories. Even if you just record it and send it over as an audio, that's cool. You can send the email over as an audio, coachbo at 8020baseball.com. You can follow me on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball, 8020 underscore baseball. So go get that drill design guide, leave a rating or a review, even better. Email me your success stories. Go check out the website, 8020baseball.com. And next week, I'll share my thoughts on whether or not it's a good idea to have your team standing the whole game in the dugout. How much energy should they be putting out? Should they be sitting down and resting? Where should the energy level be for most teams, most games? The standing versus sitting is always kind of this thing. Do you let the players handle it? How do you orchestrate that to get the most out of your dugout in terms of energy and focus, but also trying to conserve some of that late inning energy? Also, 
I will recommend something about the ABCA convention that's coming up. The American Baseball Coaches Association convention It's the biggest coaching association or the biggest coaching convention. And that's coming up early January, that conference, if you can get there. But I'm also going to share with you something else as a member you can do. Now, this isn't a plug for them necessarily. I'm a member, but another thing you can do if you can't make it to the conference, another thing that I've been doing for the conferences I can't make, I'll share that tip with you next week. And until next week, take care of your health, take care of your families, your friends, take this out there, take care of your team, your kid, your players by putting this stuff in, put it into action, 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 put it out there, go all in or just put little pieces here, start putting it in, infusing it into your coaching game and you will see the difference right away and you'll see huge strides soon enough. I look forward to seeing you all back here next week. Until then, adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.